I said four beers, Mr. Saxhaven. And I said no Indians. Just give him a beer. Stay out of it, boy. My father said four, didn't he? You heard me. Mr. Saxhaven and I are about to reach an understanding, isn't that right? Just give him a goddamn beer! Preston, stay out of it! I said stay out of it! Damn you! Damn fool! In the early 20th century, a family endures a series of heartbreaking tragedies. Listen as we talk about what makes a guy a Harvard 10, a terrible new kind of porn, and the retconning of World War I. Then we find out if Legends of the Fall stands the test of time. Time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and you, your name, is James M. Brief. That is correct, Al. The M is my middle name. Well, it's your middle initial. That's correct, is my middle initial. So today, we're going to be talking about Legends of the Fall, and I don't know why. This was one that you picked. You were banned from picking movies uh, after Kroll a few weeks ago, uh, but I guess I decided to not really make that a true thing. And you you had put this in the document that we used, and I was like, Legends of the Fall? What the hell is this? So, like, how did this come up? This was a pick of my girlfriend's, and oh, I had never seen this film. Uh, had you ever seen this film? I had not. Did you know it had Brad Pitt in it? I knew nothing about it. I don't oh, okay. think I'd ever heard of it. When I Googled it, I was like, oh, okay, maybe this seems a little familiar, but I really didn't know anything about it at all. No, this was not targeted at us. We were like 14-year-old boys when this came out. It made the world fall in love with Brad Pitt. Uh, it's usually referred to as Legends of the Fall Brad Pitt. And I had heard this for years that apparently many people found him very... Uh, enamorous in this film. So I knew that, that Brad Pitt was in it, and he was apparently very pretty. And hmm. I also knew that the film had World War One in it. And I didn't think it was a World War One film, but I, I knew it had some World War One, which I always find kind of exciting because World War One is just a bonkers, like ridiculous, horribly violent war that movies have not really done enough to because it's it's just such a vague war without clear good guys and bad guys like World War II was. And also there wasn't film back then, so we have very few uh, footage of it except for Peter Jackson's uh, They Shall Not Grow Old. I don't know if you saw that documentary. No. Um, Peter Jackson, actually, uh, the director of Lord of the Rings, unearthed all this like horribly damaged World War One footage, and he made a documentary a couple of years ago about it. But um, yeah, this film was a pick by, uh, by my girlfriend. So when we watched it, I said, you know what? Let's review this one. So I guess that means that maybe your ban is still in place if this was from your girlfriend and not you directly? That would be a way to uphold the ban if, if you really want to stick to it. That yes, uh, it would not be violating my ban of picking films. Is there a, like a whoosh 
joke in here somewhere? I, I don't know. Maybe? No, but I will tell you that there was a film the other day that uh, it basically looked like a budget Three Ninjas, if you remember that film. It was sure. about like three little white kids that are, they have a Japanese grandfather, by the way. I do remember that. And they learned to be ninjas. But this was like a budget version of it. Wasn't that movie kind of a budget version of itself? Exactly. I was like, this must be Three Ninjas. And no, it was a movie called Little Ninjas. But I was like, oh my God, I want to review this film just so Al has to watch it and he'll hate me. (laughs) (laughs) Watching it, I was like, I can feel like the grinding of Al's teeth as he's watching this film and just plotting against me and just being angry. So I will not make you watch Little Ninjas. The five minutes I saw of it were horrible. You're right. I don't think I want to watch Little Ninjas. I would watch Three Ninjas because I do remember seeing that in the theater. You mean the film we're seeing, we're reviewing next week, Three Ninjas? And the no. film we're reviewing in two weeks, Three Ninjas Kick Back. And the movie we're reviewing a week after that, Three Ninjas uh, uh, at some amusement park. I think it might be like High Moon Mountain or something. If it is, I'm I'm very upset because I, I can't remember every single side effect of every antibiotic, but I, I, I do remember that the Three Ninjas movies are Three Ninjas, Three Ninjas Kick Back, and I want to say Three Ninjas High Noon at something mountain. High Noon at Mega Mountain, apparently. Wow, I can't believe I knew that. That is pathetic. That is really pathetic. That is shameful. Uh, no, we're not going to do the whole trilogy. At some point, we can do one Three Ninjas movie. The first Three <laughs> okay, Ninjas Okay, fine. Um, but let's talk about Legends of the Fall, which is about these three brothers and their father living in the remote wilderness of Montana in the early 1900s. Alfred, the oldest son, is a responsible rule follower. Tristan, the middle child, is wild and impulsive. Samuel is the youngest, and even though he's the most educated, his older brothers are very protective of him. Samuel gets engaged to a woman named Susanna, who he introduces to his family, but then he enlists in World War I. Alfred and Tristan go with him, but Samuel is killed in action. Upon returning home, Alfred proposes to Susanna, but she rejects him. She then falls for Tristan, but Tristan leaves Montana once again, and Susanna does marry Alfred. It's a lot, it's confusing, and there's even more surprise marriages and tragic deaths before this movie ends. So I don't remember this movie at all in any way, shape, or form. Was it a hit when it came out in 94? Actually, it was. Um, So the film came out, technically it was released on December 23rd, 1994, and this is done so that it qualifies for the Academy Awards that year. Mm -hmm. But really, it was uh, widely uh, released on January 13th, 1995. Uh, The film had a $30 million budget and more than doubled it uh, domestically. It took in $66 million. And yeah, the film probably didn't have an enormous marketing budget. I mean, it's a January film that they release. Usually, it's kind of quiet films go in January. So it wound up actually being number one for four weeks in a row. So that's a big deal. Ultimately, on February 10th, 1995, it was defeated by a movie that opened at number one. And this movie features a penguin as one of the antagonists, a minor role. Uh, So it's not Batman Returns. No, it's a very minor role. You might even say a hallucinogenic role of this penguin. Oh, Billy Madison. That's correct, yes. 
you know, looking at the at the weekend takes, really, it slipped very, very little every week. I think people seem to have really been enamored by it. It was not front-loaded. So it made $14 million on its opening weekend and wound up with $66 million. So that's like a five times multiplier of the opening weekend take, like four and a half. So, you know, it's very well liked. 14 million, then 9 million, then 6 million, five, four, four. I remember the mid-90s. Anything Anthony Hopkins was in was kind of the same way that like Meryl Streep is in. It may not be for you, but this is going to be a respected film. Brad Pitt also was, I just remember him being the big thing back then. I had an older sister. You don't have an older sister, so maybe you don't really remember this as much. No, my my younger sister, Samantha, I don't think gave a shit at all. Well, she would have been like 11 or something when this came out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt are like big names. That's it for the cast in this movie. Like the other people in this movie are not huge names. The third build guy is Aiden Quinn. He plays Alfred. I looked at his IMDb. I didn't really recognize much on there. Same with uh, Julia Ormond, who plays Susanna. The guy who plays Samuel, the young brother who dies in World War One. I didn't recognize him right away, I gotta be honest. But looking mm-hmm. at his IMDb, that's Elliot from E.T., that's cool. Hey, remember that kid? Here he is grown up. But there's not a lot of like other well-known actors in this movie other than Brad Pitt and Anthony Hopkins. It's really just those two. You can make the argument that uh, Julia Ormond, uh, she was she was pretty big uh, at, at the time that this was released. But you're right, it, it's kind of a small uh, small film there. Uh, Christina Pickles, I remembered her. I just saw her in the credits. I just remember she was, I think, one of the moms and friends. And the movie's director, Edward Zwick, he also directed another movie that we talked about on the podcast, Glory. So I guess uh, we've seen his historical dramas. I don't know. Maybe he has others. Oh, he's done a lot of famous films. Uh, He did The Last Samurai, Blood Diamond. Uh, He did one of the Jack Reacher films. Uh, There was a very controversial film when it came out and very interesting of when it came out. I would love to see how this film holds up. I mean, I know it's probably not politically correct, but he made a, uh, a movie called The Siege. Do you remember that film? No. It was a movie released in 1998. So very, very iffy to do it then but it was a movie about muslim terrorists like blow up something i think they blow up something in in new york maybe the world trade center i don't know because this is after the 93 bombings but of course before 2001 and it's sort of like a japanese internment camp thing where in this fictionalized new york that's been attacked by muslims they lock up all muslims (gasps) oh you know what i never saw that movie But when we were in Washington, D.C. a couple months ago, we went to the Spy Museum and they showed a clip of that movie. And I was like, what the hell is this? And Courtney was like, oh, yeah, I remember that movie. Uh, I think Tony Shalhoub was in it, if I'm remembering the the clip. Yes, he, he was. Yeah. You know what he produced also? He produced a very popular television show right around when this film came out in 1994, 1995. Do you remember Claire Danes uh, was in this uh, teen drama called My So-Called Life? Yeah, of course. I never watched it, but I know of it. Yeah, he was the executive producer of that. Um, I do want to talk about this movie's voiceover. And I know, I know, I've brought this up so many goddamn times, and I apologize to any listeners who are, like, sick of me talking about it. But sometimes voiceover is good, sometimes it's bad, sometimes it's really bad. I think this movie's voiceover is really, 
really bad. And the movie in general, I think, does a very bad job of following that rule of show, don't tell. And I think that's kind of my problem with voiceovers in general, is that it's like a cheat to not follow that rule. We're not going to show you something. We're just going to tell it to you in voiceover. And this movie does a lot of that. There's a ton of voiceover in the beginning. I didn't count how many minutes, but like the entire story of this family is told in voiceover and it's really, really fucking annoying. Like, I know I'm extra sensitive to it, but like, did that bother you at all? It's not just random voiceover of, I was a young man in the early 1900s, and it's not one of those things. It turns out it's more of like the movie 300. It's actually a story. There's this uh, old Native American guy whose name is One Stab, who's telling the story, and he's telling a couple other Native Americans who seem to be uh, in his audience about what happened to him at the beginning of the 20th century with this family that he seemed to live with in Montana. So I don't think we needed this to be from the point of view of uh, One Stab. I didn't mind it, but I I do see what you mean. It probably wasn't needed. Like the way 300 was needed, because that's a plot point, that the whole point of this film is that we're telling the story of this story. This film didn't necessarily need that that little trick. But I actually kind of think this movie does need it And not in a good way, because so much of, like, these characters and their characterizations we get from the voiceover. Like, we learn there was a mom, but she left because she didn't like the cold winters. And we learn that the middle child, he's a hothead, and the younger one, boy, those two older brothers, they will do anything to protect their little brother. These are all important characterizations. These are all important details of this story. And we're just told them it's told to another audience who needs to be told this yeah but it's also told to us the audience watching the movie you're right it's a gimmick i think they could have done it otherwise they could have easily said oh we haven't uh, done that since your mother left us so, you know it could have been in in the story and I, i'm not going to argue uh, that the voiceover was needed I, i'll give you that but i did not have a problem with it It's lazy and it's frustrating that we are being handed this information and not being shown these things. And so much of the beginning of this movie is like montages. There is so, so many montages. Like Samuel comes back from Harvard and he brings his fiance Susanna. And right away when Susanna meets the older brother, he's like, oh, hey, hey, hey. Like you can see it on his face. Alfred likes Susanna. And she's like, eh. And then Susanna, when she first meets Tristan, she's like, whoa. And like, we see that. Like we see that on their faces. We don't need to be told that. But then there's like, all of these montages of them with Susanna. She's learning how to use a lasso for the first time, and then she's playing tennis, and then she shoots a can, and she's doing all of these, like, Montana things, but, like, it goes on and on and on so goddamn long. One thing that I kind of chuckled at was when she 
is like using the rifle and she shoots the can and she's really excited and then she's like yay look what I did and she's holding the rifle and she spins around to the other guys while aiming the rifle at them I have zero experience with guns but I remember taking my son Eli on like a Cub Scout retreat years ago and they had like an archery range and that was the one thing is they always tell you you always aim down the range and after the kids take their shot or just to see like hey dad am I holding it they're constantly swinging around and like hey what about this and like no 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 no, don't do that and it was like you know a rubber thing it wouldn't hurt if you got shot but you know it is a thing that inexperienced people will do yeah that is funny um, you know, I do want to talk about Brad Pitt as really the, what in my opinion, the reason this film was the success that it was and the success in the, uh, in the slow drop off that it was. Because I think that people probably told their friends uh, that they liked this film. And I think it was because of a young Brad Pitt. And if you'll notice his introduction is him coming in on a horse and it's like they got the sun to perfectly light his long blonde hair. It's the kind of thing made for, hello ladies, this is a guy named Brad Pitt. He will be the next big movie star. You know what? I meant to look it up and I forgot and I could Google it right now and I'm not going to. But like, I wonder if in real life, Brad Pitt does have a brother. Because if I was Brad Pitt's brother and I was, I don't know, 80% as good-looking as Brad Pitt, I would still be nervous bringing home a girlfriend to meet my brother. You know, like, that would be a scary thing. And, you know, that's kind of what happens in this movie. You know, she's with uh, Elliot from E.T., and then she's like, oh, I'm sorry, your brother was Brad Pitt? Huh, interesting. And, like, you can kind of see that in real life. You know, maybe at Harvard, Elliot from E.T., he's a Harvard 10. But then you get to the ranch of Montana and, like, oh, no, 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 no. Your brother, that's a real 10. A Harvard 10. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, take that, Harvard. Um, But, like, the way that this love triangle, quadrilateral, whatever it is, is set up with Susanna... First of all, it's weird because she's engaged to Samuel, then she sleeps with Tristan, and then she marries Alfred. You know, like how there are those dating apps for, like, Jewish people, for Christian people, for farmers, for whoever you're interested in. It's like she needs a dating app for people outside of this fucking family. Like, you can meet other men. There are other people in the world besides these fucking people. You know, it's a tragedy that this poor woman uh, found herself uh, you know, dating Samuel. It completely ruined her life in every single way. I mean, it was nothing but a disaster. Well, yes, but also she doesn't help her case because when all of the brothers go off to war, she's like, well, I'll just stay here in Montana. Why? She's maybe from Boston, or maybe she graduated Harvard. I don't know if they make that clear, but she's from somewhere else. She has her own family. She went to Harvard. She's smart. She could do something in the world. Why is she just hanging out on this ranch in Montana with her fiance's father for God knows how long? I mean, you know, there's the railroad system. She could go back to wherever and stay in touch via letters. She sticks around in Montana for way too long, and I don't understand her reasoning for doing that at all. 
I just have to assume it's because it was 1916 in Montana or, or whatever year it is. That's just what I have to assume. I, I have to assume the same reason why the other guys weren't married either is because I don't think there's many women around there, honestly. Maybe they do need a dating app. Maybe they did need a dating app. I think in a in a completely outdated way, a woman in 1916, when she was betrothed to a man, I don't think she left. I mean, I think when he goes off to war, I think she stayed at home and uh, stayed with her future father-in-law, which is weird for us. But uh, I don't think she had another method of leaving. I would assume it's probably a a three-day carriage ride to Helena. Right. There is one line where they say like, oh, there was a storm and so she couldn't leave like one winter or something, but she still could have left the next year or something like right. It just feels like she could have escaped this situation. But when she gets off the train and Alfred looks at her and then she looks at Tristan right away, I'm like, OK, this is a love triangle but it's kind of more of a love square now because of uh, Samuel. And the second Samuel started talking about World War One, I, I pretty much knew what was going to happen to Samuel. I mean, like, were you at all surprised when he died in World War One? No, I said the exact same thing. The second he said World War One, I, I said, okay, Samuel dies. Mm-hmm. But I was debating what would happen. My thought was that Samuel's going to die. She's going to get with... Uh, Aiden Quinn's character, and then uh, really fall in love with Brad Pitt, and um, not too far, uh, but but a little a little off. There's only three young men in this film and one young woman. There's only so many combinations that could happen. But when you see a naive guy say, "We're gonna go to World War One and fight for freedom," dude, no one knows what the fuck they're fighting for over there. Uh, it's certainly not for freedom of Americans. So you're dead. I didn't think the other boys were gonna die. I, I thought exactly what happened would happen. Also, because we were told in voiceover that the older brothers always look out for the younger brothers, so that's why the other brothers go with him to World War One. But, like, even that, I felt like, wait, what? Like, Alfred, the oldest brother, yeah, he says that he's going to go to protect his younger brother. Tristan has no interest in the war. And then Susanna's like, oh, you should go. And then he goes. Like, wait, what? The brothers. That's it. The brothers. Right. But, like, Tristan's motivation to go to war is because of the voiceover that told me that he's protective of his brother and Susanna mentioning like, oh, I guess you should and like kind of almost maybe kissing him or something. It's just questionable. It's weird. So I'll put a little plug in here. There is a fantastic podcast called Hardcore History by a guy named Dan Carlin. And he has a fantastic four-episode series on World War One. I, I, th- I believe it's called Blueprints to Armageddon. And World War I is just such a clusterfuck. And it's really the first horrible modern war. I mean, we think of World War II and the carnage of D-Day, and we just assume wars are like Vietnam, and there was this film and a nickname of this place called Hamburger Hill. Why? Because all the soldiers were turned into hamburger meat there. I mean, it's so gross what modern wars can do. But World War I was such a departure from what anyone had ever seen before. And I I owe this credit to, to Dan Carlin. So... Most of the world has not seen 
any modern technology. If you haven't been to a city, you may not have seen an electric light, uh, locomotives, maybe you've seen. There were actual armies that went into World War I. They had drummers that would go to these things. They would right. have the guy with the flag. And then the Germans just, they took out this thing called a machine gun. And it was just, and just, people just didn't understand what was happening. Just how do you kill 200 people in four seconds? And what the fuck is this cloud that just happened here? Mustard gas. And in this film, I believe it's chlorine gas that they that they use or whatever it was. Just this idea of weapons of mass destruction as little as, say, a machine gun. The naivete that Samuel has is so accurate. America wasn't even in the war. They had to go to Canada to try to go to World War One. So, right. and Samuel, he volunteers for these missions. Like, and the older brothers are like, what the fuck is he doing? And they immediately try to save him from this basically suicide mission. And he does get gassed and he becomes blinded and barbed wire and machine guns. Pretty much he gets every horror of World War One happen to him. It's a powerful scene, but World War One, you only see bits of the horror that it is. But I mean, it was just such a horrible war. They do depict it as that was useless. That didn't do anything for us. And we lost our brother. So I did like the World War One scenes. It was a fascinating war that's just never really depicted in film. Except for Wonder Woman. And 1917. Like, there is a renaissance of World War I, but it's never going to be as sexy as World War II simply because of two things. One, we didn't have the film footage of it, but also, as I said before, just there's so many sides to it that no one really can tell who the bad guys are. Everyone's just killing each other because you had an alliance with another country that's now at war with Austria, and, oh, Belgium has an alliance with Italy, so now they got to go to war with Poland and Prussia. It was... No one knew why they were going to war. Franz Ferdinand was killed, so every country has to honor their treaties, and it just fell into a clusterfuck, and it was just a war that we hope never happens again. It was actually called, not World War One, obviously. You know what the original name of it was? The Great War? The Great War, but also the war to end all wars. Then it was some journalist, I think, in the late 30s that coined World War Two, which retconned the, the Great War into World War One, but... Um, yeah, I mean, th- this scene is definitely different than the rest of the film because this is, I mean, there's a little action in the film, but this is like a war scene. And then we go back to quiet Montana. Right. And Alfred goes back first and Tristan goes back later. So that allows Alfred to kind of make his move on Susanna and she rebuffs him. But then Tristan comes back and she's all about Tristan. They get together and Alfred leaves in a huff. But then Tristan leaves in a huff, too, and he goes off, and we get it that he feels guilty about his brother who died, and he feels guilty about sleeping with his dead brother's fiance. So then he goes off to explore the world, and he writes a letter to Susanna and says, I am dead, our love is dead, marry another— And then he comes back, and of course he comes back because he's the prodigal son and he must return— I understand that from, like, the point of view of this is a movie with storytelling tropes, but the movie doesn't explain why he comes back at all. There is no change that we see in him. There is no explanation that he gives. He's not even really asked. Like, Susanna doesn't say, well, why'd you come home now? The father doesn't say that. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, he was gone for years and years and years, and now he's back. Yay! I found that also 
lazy and frustrating that like the movie doesn't even bother to like answer this major question. So you're right. It's not directly answered. And this actually might have actually been helped by a little voiceover because it's a completely unspoken montage. Tristan basically goes off to the world. And remember, this is this is a world that's essentially undiscovered uh, still. And uh, it's not modernized, no technology. So he's on some kind of trade boat and he goes to the South Pacific and it's implied that he kind of uh, lives with some natives on some uh, South Pacific island for a while and and he gets very spiritual. And after uh, Samuel dies, Tristan basically goes insane. He crosses the enemy lines and not only starts murdering a lot of people, he scalps them. Today we'd call it PTSD, but to, to steal uh, the late George Carlin's uh, bit, that's what we call it today because PTSD is the, is the soft term, post-traumatic stress disorder. But in, in World War II, it was called battle fatigue. And in World War I, you know what it was called? Shell shock. I've listened to that George Carlin routine. Yeah. He's seen the worst horrors that anyone could possibly see, and it all happens to his brother, too. So in addition to everything else he probably saw that was horrible, he saw that. And I guess it's just sort of implied that he just sort of cleanses himself and has this uh, walkabout, if you will. But, uh, you know, you're right. There isn't... um there isn't some kind of revealing scene in this montage that says why he comes back. Although, when he does leave, um, Anthony Hopkins, the, the, the patriarch of the family, he asks one stab, do you think he'll ever come back? And one stab says, yes. So I knew he was going to come back because you know, it seems like one stab is a guy that knows what he's talking about. Well, also, you know he's going to come back because he's Brad Pitt and he's in this movie and the movie is very, very far from being over. So it's not surprising that he comes back. But again, there's a missing motivation. And that's really frustrating. I see that. And then once he is back and he finds out that Suzanne has married Alfred and he goes to see her and she's sad because she still loves him. And then he marries Isabel too, who's basically like his sister who lives on the ranch with them. And she is the daughter of this farmhand who is an associate of the fathers and this Native American woman. I didn't fully get like their whole relationship. Like, is she one stab's daughter? Maybe? Like, I don't know. And like with all the voiceover, you feel like they would have explained that part a little bit better. But I was kind of confused on like the mechanics of who is who and how these people knew each other and how they were related and stuff. Yes, it is explained a little bit uh, where this whole dynamic comes from. Anthony Hopkins' character was in, I don't know, it was like the Battle of Bighorn or Little Bighorn or some big America versus the Native Americans battle. And, you know, spoiler alert, America was not good to the Native Americans and slaughtered uh, many of them. And some kind of battle that Anthony Hopkins refused to take part in. Like, he's like, I'll defend America, but I'm not slaughtering people. So he quit the army. And it's implied that one stab seems to have either owed him for saving his life or maybe he just saw this as a, a good a good man and, and they live together. I don't know why that other white guy lives with them. Yeah, like this is not explained. It's just assumed he's like a, a farmhand, but it could have been explained uh, better. I was a little confused. I kept waiting for the line of where he's from. Yeah, it's really, really weird. And then, you know, this is 
after World War One, so it's prohibition. And so then Alfred is in Congress and he votes for prohibition. But Tristan, hey, he could be a bootlegger. And then he's a bootlegger. And then he runs afoul of the O'Banions. The O'Banion brothers are the bad guys. And we know that the O'Banion brothers are the bad guys because we're told that the O'Banion brothers are the bad guys. And the O'Banions go after Tristan because he shouldn't be bootlegging. That's their racket. And they fire a gun at Tristan and his family as like a warning, but it accidentally kills his wife and she's dead. She dies in front of her children. It's just another horrible tragedy for Tristan to deal with. And then Tristan has to go to jail because he beats up the cop who did it. And Susanna goes to visit him in prison and she's still in love with him. But Tristan's like, hey, you know, you're married to my brother. Why don't you just go home? And she's so upset that she kills herself. And it's just like tragedy after tragedy after tragedy. And I don't know what other phrase to use other than like, it's porn. It's just tragedy porn. It's thinking of all of the most horrible, terrible things that could befall these people, this family, this extended family, and just one after the other. And I don't know, man, it just felt hollow. It felt like annoying. I didn't connect with these characters and it just kind of felt like, come on. Oh, so now this person's going to die and this person's going to commit suicide. It's too much. Did you just coin that tragedy porn? Uh, maybe? But that's exactly what it is. I might have asked you this before. Do you watch This Is Us? I was just going to bring this up, This Is Us, because I've never seen it, but I know of that show. This Is Us, to be fair, sometimes does a very good job of telling you sad stories and you care about these characters and you watch them go through something and it's emotional. And seeing sad things happen to beloved characters, I mean, that's drama. But when it just feels like perfunctory, when it feels like it's just there to like make you sad and you're going to cry now. Oh, here's a sad thing. You weren't expecting it. Ha ha, got you. Like then it doesn't feel emotional. Then it feels cheap. And if you see tragic things happen to characters that you love and it's done well, yeah, that's moving. It's gut-wrenching. That's good filmmaking. That's good storytelling. But I really felt like in this movie, it all just fell flat for me. You know, when you say all, what did you think of the score? I thought, finally, Al's going to say the score is good. This score by James Horner, I thought, was brilliant. I liked it. I thought it was okay. fine. I'll take I have it. nothing against it. I mean, I thought that, like, the cinematography in this movie was beautiful. I'm not shitting Thank on you. everything that happens. Like, there's gorgeous vistas. I'm not saying that it's all bad. I'm just saying, like, the character stuff and the plot stuff was was, like, really annoying me. But the movie looks great and sounds great. Good, because the cinematography was by a man named John Toll. He won the Oscar for this film. He was a cinematographer for Braveheart, and he won for Braveheart as well. He was also nominated for uh, Terrence Malick's uh, The Thin Red Line. I've never seen that film. That's a World War II film I've always wanted to watch. The score was nominated for a Best uh, Golden Globe original score. But, like, to me, I think that's telling. This movie, to me, screamed... Oscar bait. Like, they're putting in all of this tragedy porn stuff because that's going to, like, do well with the uh, with the Oscar voters. And, like, that's how we're going to sweep the awards. You even mentioned that it came out in very late 1994 just exactly. so it would qualify. 
It got three Academy Award nominations. Right. Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, and Best Sound. And Brad Pitt wound up being nominated for Best Actor for a Golden Globe. But not for an Oscar. And I think this movie really thought it was going to be nominated and maybe win a lot of Oscars. Not just for sound and cinematography, but for acting and directing and supporting acting and supporting actress. And I'm not surprised that it was nominated only for sound and cinematography because the rest of it, I don't think it's there. I mean, it's not at all shocking that it wasn't nominated for best screenplay or like whatever, like all of that stuff. I feel like, yeah, it dropped the ball there. I've noticed this, that especially films that get released in December, not so much the Oscars, but especially the Golden Globes, they'll nominate some movies that kind of have a lot of uh, buzz around December, but completely forgotten and actually not well-received when it really comes out. I've seen that happen a a good number of times with Golden Globes. But, like, I'm kind of getting into my big-picture thoughts of the movie, so I might as well just say that I don't think this movie stands the test of time. I really found it to just be, like, annoying in the way that this story is told and frustrating in how poorly it's told and how much it violates the the show don't tell rule and how it just sort of is like okay now you're going to be sad because this person dies and now you're going to be angry at the obanions because you've always hated the obanions because the obanions are bad because we've just told you that fucking hate the obanions yeah right like i didn't genuinely feel the things that this movie wanted me to genuinely feel because the movie did a bad job of telling this story. And I know that the movie is based on a novella, and maybe as a novella, this story works. Like, I could kind of see that. I could imagine that that's the case. Maybe the novella sucks too. I don't know. I've never read it. It kind of made me think of East of Eden. You know, that's a Steinbeck book. I read it in middle school, high school. I remember thinking it was just this story of... These family, families, I think, two families, and like there's bad stuff and then more bad stuff and then more bad stuff and they go through the years and the decades and, you know, that book's a classic. I didn't really care for it. I kind of felt like that's what I was watching here, except just really poorly executed on a story front. The acting is great by Anthony Hopkins and Brad Pitt. The acting from everyone else is okay. I'm not saying they're, like, terrible, but I don't think anyone else is, like, really good in this movie, and I don't think it stands the test of time. What do you think, James? Well, um, I've already talked about it. I won't dwell on it. The things that absolutely stand up, I I think uh, the cinematography is gorgeous. Yes, John Toll obviously is a is a uh, brilliant cinematographer, but he also has Montana to film. And I've never been out there. My sister's been out there, Joanna, the friend of the show. Montana is just supposed to be so unbelievably gorgeous. And apparently over COVID, like that was the state that like quintupled in its uh, property values. It's just supposed to be so gorgeous there. So the cinematography is great. James Horner is great as always. Um, Yes, this was a better soundtrack than Crawl. I'll admit that. Um, One other thing that totally stands up is, holy shit, Brad Pitt could literally play himself in the sequel and barely look any older. I mean, he stands the test of time. I think Aiden Quinn is a fine actor. I think Henry Thomas... 
I'll always see him as Elliot, but in a weird way, he's such a like naive boy in this film. So I think he plays it well in his you know, brief small role here. Um, I really like the World Warrior One stuff, as I've mentioned before. I love that term you made. I don't know if you made it up, but this film is tragedy porn. It is. Just one bad thing happens after another. And the very end of the film, one stab had said that Tristan was going to die young. He predicted he was going to die young. And every prediction one stab made was correct, except that he would die young. And the voiceover at the end says that Tristan did not die young. He lived to see his children and grandchildren. And then he dies in uh, 1963. A huge bear comes and attacks him, somewhat reminiscent of the first scene in the film when he's a young boy attacking a bear. And then one stab in the voiceover, he says, it was a good death. And, yeah, another person dies. I wouldn't necessarily say tragically. I mean, the guy seems to have lived to, like, be, like, 70 or so. Yeah, he gets a good death as opposed to everyone else that he loved. Yeah, I mean, Alfred, we don't really see what happens to him, but no, uh, we, don't. we do know that he kind of had a loveless marriage and his wife killed herself. I mean, the poor guy is, in every measure from an outside person, he's very successful. You know, this is a film that it was not made for us. I mean, I don't think it was made for 15-year-old boys in 1994, but I thought it was a, it was a quiet little film that's, that it did entertain me. I would say it was more beautiful than it was entertaining. Watching it and listening to it were, were fantastic. There was enough action in it that kept me interested. However, th- there are a lot of slow parts, and... As it is, I I thought the film was fine. I don't need to see it again. I liked it. It wasn't the film that I've heard people are obsessed over this film. I can see how some people really like it. It didn't really connect as much to me, but but I think it stands up. So I'm going to say that this film does stand the test of time. I could totally see this film kind of being more boring to people, but it had just enough in it for me to be interested. But not, not a film for everyone. Right, right, right. I could definitely see a lot of people being very, very bored by this movie. Even the people who are just in it for the hunky Brad Pitt stuff, like there's plenty of this movie where you don't see that. And, you know, if that's the only thing you care about, yeah, you might be bored too. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're going to be talking about a movie that you're really excited about. I know. It's Contact. That's a movie that's celebrating its 25th anniversary. I know, I know. Space stuff. You're all excited. Look at you grinning ear to ear. Get over it. We haven't even watched it yet. It has the largest pan out that goes from a young girl's face to the edge of the universe. That is quite a zoom out. And we will talk about that next week. And a lot of astronomy in space. No, we won't talk about any astronomy or space next week. But we will talk about the movie Contact. I hope you're looking forward to that. Maybe it's okay if you're looking forward to that a little bit less than James's. That's all right. Until then, we want to hear from you. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at testoftimepodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, testoftimepod.com. You can check out our merch. Buy some merch. Get yourself some summertime merch, some new t-shirts, some tank tops. You'll look good in a Test of Time tank top. And we will see you next week, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.